0: hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you.
1: Well, I wonder where that conversation has you going. Uh, If there are thoughts there that you want to pursue later, I'd love to talk to you or perhaps talk with some of the team or continue with the person. That you are speaking to we're going to be thinking this evening about the love of God what is it like and what are we supposed to think about it but before we do that I want to talk to you about the fear of flying is anyone here afraid of flying is anyone here afraid afraid of flying oh wow we've got a very intrepid group Barry thank you for being honest uh, now in our marriage uh, my wife generally is basically better at all things than me. With one precious exception, uh, apart from when it comes to needles, which I'm absolutely terrified of, I am a little bit less scared of things than she is. And flying is one of the things that she's really scared of. Um, and so whenever we get on a plane, she gets, um, she gets scared. Uh, the plane taxis out to, to the runway, uh, and it waits, as they always do, and she sort of says to me, what, what are we waiting for? Why, why are we waiting <laughs> Um, And then the engines kick in, you know, full thrust. They get really loud. Why is it so loud? Why is it so loud? Um, And then the plane gets underway. And you know how once you sort of speed up, the the wings just wobble a tiny bit? You know, and she'll be like, why is that wobbling? Are are the wings going to fall off? Um, And then there's that moment where you take off, you know, the nose goes up like that. And that's when she goes for the clamp, (laughs) like that. On, on, my, on my arm. Uh, and she throws one last terrifying glance at them. I don't know why she does that. She, she just looks straight forward. She looks out, you know, when, you, when there's the bank, and it's just like you're falling straight down into earth. and Absolutely terrified. It, it makes her feel a whole lot worse. I don't know why she does it. And frankly, things don't calm down until you're at that point where basically it feels like you're not moving anymore. Um... Now, here's the thing. I don't think my wife, Emily, has any objective concerns about flying. She does it again and again and again. She books it up. She pays the money. She knows what she's in for. She doesn't spend her time poring over kind of, you know, air traffic accident statistics. She's not saying as we take off, you know, well, actually, I've, you know, I've done my research on this particular company. And, you know, one in 10, we're probably going to end up in a sea. And the last nine, you know, it was fine. So this is probably the one. She's not thinking like that. She, she fundamentally, she's content to get in the plane, but it's terrifying. She, doesn't, she knows she's safe, but she doesn't feel safe. So an experience that is objectively safe, as I tell her, you are 200,000 times more likely to die in the car than you are in the plane every time you get into it. There we go, statistic for you. It's, it's, by the way, it doesn't work particularly sharing that statistic. Um, an experience that is objectively safe feels like the opposite. All of which means that while she chooses the experience of flying, she doesn't enjoy the experience of flying. Well, that is the kind of thing I think that's in view when we come to these uh, chapters in Romans. And we come to the end of our our series right now. Uh, In Romans, we were just looking at uh, chapter eight of Romans. Uh, and it's a wonderful chapter. I hope you've really enjoyed it. And the end of chapter eight is like the climax, not only of this chapter, but frankly of the whole book as it's come up to this point. And by the way, if you've never read Romans from the beginning to the end, I really recommend it. And if you want a recommendation for something that's going to help you with that, read John Stott's uh, Bible Speaks Today uh, commentary. Fantastic devotional, practical, eye-opening read. Uh, It's just a wonderful thing to read from beginning to end. So Paul is ending the whole thing, and he he comes to this point, it's that great tub-thumping celebration of the love of God. And so much of what he's been saying in this chapter, and, and says here, is trying to achieve that, what I just said. Trying to get Christians not just to choose to put their trust in God, but actually to experience a joy and a deep security and a deep sense of safety in it. Not just to choose to follow God, but to experience a sense of safety and security in it. It's what we call in the world of theology, we call assurance. Paul is addressing our assurance. The degree to which we feel, the degree to which we experience the security and safety that we already have as Christians. Now how does Paul go about doing this? Well, he he does it by asking five unanswerable questions. And I'm going to zip through them with us this evening. If God is for us, who can be against us? If he didn't spare his son, how will he not give us all things? Who will raise a charge against us if we're already chosen by God? Who will condemn us if Christ is interceding for us? And finally, what will separate us from the love of God? And each time he basically says, no one, no one, nothing, nothing. So let's go through that in turn. And I'm praying that by the time we get to the end, we will not just know what the answer is. We will feel it and the same sense of triumph and safety that Paul experiences. Okay, so find Romans 8 again. If you've lost it, get it on your phone or, or, or in, the, in the Bible. Romans 8, 31. Romans eight, thirty-one. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I think this part of the passage here, it tackles the first dimension of a lack of assurance, and that is opposition. Opposition. One of the reasons we begin to fear that the Lord is no longer interested in us, that he's checked out of our lives, uh, that we've blown it with him, is when we experience resistance and opposition in our lives. We experience adversity. Adversity. So what might this look like? Well, for example, let's say you're trying to heal a relationship in your family or with an old friend. And it's costing you a lot of energy, uh, but you're, you're really going to make a big effort. You're really leaning in uh, to speaking kindly to that person, you know, getting them in your life, get them a gift, you're being really thoughtful. You're trying to include them in something, and you're, you're sure this is really what the Lord wants you to do. And then all of a sudden, someone else connected with the two of you just piles in and starts criticizing criticizing you, saying, what are you doing? It's so rubbish. You're just going to make it worse, whatever. Shouldn't have bothered, and so forth. And you think, Lord, I'm I'm trying to do the right thing here. It's actually quite hard. And now, just everything is against me, particularly this person here. Where are you, Lord? And and, and that, that question, that way... That, that, that the way that Paul puts it here, if God is for us, who could be against us? The answer we're supposed to say is, no one. God is for me. So no one can be against me. Except that like most of the questions in here, of course that seems like a ri- ridiculous thing to say at that time. What we actually feel is, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, let me tell you Lord, actually quite a lot of people are against me right now and I can list them to you. Paul, himself had loads of enemies, right? And Paul read the Bible and he knows that there's a whole history of God's people who all had a lot of opponents. King Jesus, for example, was one of them who had many opponents, masses of opposition. So what does he mean, if God is for me, no one can be against us? Well, it may be that even though we experience that opposition ourselves, what he's trying to communicate is this, if God is for us, no opposition that we might experience can overcome his support no opposition that we might experience can overcome God's support for us if you're a Christian if you have put your trust in Christ God is for you he's moving you forward through hardship and difficulty certainly but inexorably he's moving you towards glory he is for you and nothing is going to stop that so I want you to try something for a second, and depending how bold you are, you can change the decibel level on this, including it could be silent, okay? Try saying, God is for, and then your name, okay? Now we'll do three, two, one. We'll say it all at the same time, so we'll, yeah, okay, right, okay? But I tell you what, it's gonna be fun if we all say it relatively loudly. Are we gonna do, should we, should we go for this? Right, okay, so I will say three, two, one. I will say, for example, God is for John. I'll say it a little bit quietly, because it's not all about me, and I'm on the microphone, okay? You're going to say your name. God is for, and then your name, not your name. Right, okay, here we go. Three, two, one. God is for John. Wow. How did that feel? Did that feel good? Perhaps, perhaps you thought, that's fantastic. That's brilliant. You're going to go home. And just, that's, that's going to be your mantra for the evening. Perhaps you were a little bit scandalized by that. Really? You heard the words. You're like, I'm not so sure. That's what Paul wants us to know. He wants us to be able to say those words with absolute, full assurance. Now, let's just be clear about what this means. This doesn't mean that God is for everything that you do. The harebrained and stupid things that I have done in my life and that I continue to do, God is not for them. He is against them. He wants me not to be an idiot. But he is for me. He is for me. In the sense that nothing meaningfully can get in the way of his great plans to draw me all the way to glory. He's busy changing me, making me like him, and nothing can stop that. Isn't that amazing? That's true for you too if you're a believer today. So that's the first one. If God is for us, who could be against us? No one. Okay, second, second question. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. That's verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Okay, so this is, the, this is going after the second threat to our assurance. And that is deprivation. When, when we lose something or we don't have something. So, so what happens is you find yourself... Doubting God's love for you because you don't have something or because you lose something. And this is a widespread experience that Christians have experienced over time. So you, you lose that job that you really prayed for and you really enjoyed and, frankly, you really needed. And because you lost it and you no longer have it, you begin to think the Lord doesn't really care after all. I, I used to think he did because you know, I had that good job. And now I don't have it. So perhaps he's just like, he's not bothered. You know, if he did, he would have arranged it right for me to keep it, wouldn't he? And this is what we start saying to ourselves. Or, you know, your dreams of finding a, a, a life partner go unfulfilled. And the longer it goes on, you know, it's harder and harder. And you just think, if he was really committed to me, yeah, he would sort of sort this out. Therefore, since he isn't, perhaps he's just not committed to me. Perhaps he's kind of wavering, he's just not really bothered And to that, Paul says this, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How will he not? How will he not? It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? I don't quite know what the answer to that one is. Uh, He will not. But you get the point. How will he not? And again, the question itself feels a bit of an odd one at face value, isn't it? Technically, he says, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Well, how about this, God? Right here's an example of you not giving me all things. Okay, I'm not complaining about my life, but I do have a long list of things that God has not given me, which I have asked him for. And you have your own list, right? So I don't have all things. What does he mean? What does he mean? I think he means this. Remember, if you are a Christian, God has form with you. He has already given you the most precious thing, the most precious gift of all. God gave up his son for you. Now that is a mystery that the inner workings of which we can scarcely comprehend. But I'm a dad, I'm a father, I, I can just about get my head around the idea of giving up a son. And that's the, that's the shape of what God has given us to understand what, what, what it cost him. And so it is, God gave his son. He experienced the absolute cosmic agony of the cross. God experienced it in himself as a punishment for our sin. And if he was prepared to do that for you, do you not think that whatever else you're going to need, he's going to supply it for you? Now, we've got to think about that a little bit, haven't we? Because I take it there may be things that we think we need where God doesn't think we need them. So, just earlier in this passage, Paul has already said God's great purpose for us is to be conformed to the likeness of his son. To have our characters refined. And any of us who have had our characters refined by the Lord, we know that can be incredibly hard. And it can often take the shape of us not getting what it is that we want at a particular time. There are situations where we really struggle to perceive God's generosity in that. Or to put it another way, whatever we may lack, let it not become a reason To doubt God's generosity to us. When Emily and I went on our honeymoon, um, we were we were quite young. We were twenty-two, and uh, we didn't have a penny uh, to rub between us. So uh, my very generous godfather paid for us to stay uh, in uh, in an amazing holiday uh, hotel on an island uh, off the coast of Malaysia. And uh, we arrived there. It's just Mind-blowing, amazing, this view across the canopy, the rainforest canopy. The beach was a short walk away. Um, and we just thought, oh, this is going to be fantastic. And we went for our first meal, and we sat down, and we opened the menu. And I looked at this thing, and I thought, nightmare. Oh, the cost of the dishes. And I worked out how much money we had. And basically, by lunchtime on the second day, we'd be out of cash for the entire honeymoon. Uh, and you know, lovely surviving uh, surroundings, but we would, we would have to fast for our honeymoon in order to last there, right? What was I going to do about it? So rather sheepishly, I had to ring up my godfather. I said, look, thanks so much for sorting us out, with getting with you, but, um, you know, what about the food? And, um, my godfather is, is, is properly British. Like he makes quite British people look positively not British. And he says... Uh, I think you'll find that's all arranged. Uh, by which he meant, uh, 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 but he wouldn't explain afterwards. What he really meant is, I'm going to pay for it all. And I just clarify, I rang up my dad. And says, is that what he meant? He said, I paid for it all. He would pay for it. And of course he did. Of course he did. He hadn't changed. He'd already made this incredibly generous outlay for this holiday. It wasn't like he was not like, oh, yeah, brilliant. I'm going to get them there. i are going to squirm for a couple of days because they're really going to feel it. No, I I know him. He's just immensely generous. That's the kind of mindset we need to get into with with our Lord. To see in the cross his immense grace and generosity to us. And then to read all the hardships of life through the lens of that generosity. So I wonder what it is in your life that you do not have that has perhaps started to chip away at your sense of God's generous care for you? What is it in your life that's making you think, ah, he's a bit stingy, isn't he? He's not giving me that thing. Well, is it a time for you to go back and to put yourself at, at the cross? Perhaps as we join in communion later on, just really think about this. He did not spare his son for you. How will he not graciously give you all things, that is, all things that you need? Okay, that's the second. Third and fourth, I'm going to take them together because they're quite similar. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And who is he that condemns? Okay, so this is the third threat to our assurance. It's our sin. Our sin and the guilt, uh, which so often, even for Christians, worms its way in between us and our God. That sense of deep condemnation that can Afflict us now. How, how does this work? How does this this rock our assurance? I think it's a little bit like this. So I'm going along in the Christian life, kind of okay uh, for a bit, and then I make a really big mistake. So I don't know. I just completely lose it with my wife. Uh, I go off the deep end. I say all sorts of totally unrepeatable stuff, and then just feel just immense shame as a result. Or I make some decision not to be fully honest with a friend, frankly, just to save my face, and then they find out and it sort of blows up on me and I just feel awful and they feel they're really hurt. Or I just let something unethical slide at work and then it just gets big on me. Or uh, I fall into some kind of sexual sin or suddenly realize I'm deeply locked into some long-running bitterness or or something from my past just comes back to haunt me Uh, and it just feels particularly shameful. Now, what happens in this moment? Well, just then, the devil makes the most. He makes the most. And he jumps at me, and he says, yeah, think about it. Think about it, John. You call yourself a Christian. Well, who are you kidding? Look, face it, your faith is a fake. If you were the real thing, you wouldn't be doing this stuff. In fact, have you... I've seen everything that you've done, and I've listed it out. I've got my charges uh, against you. In fact, I'm going to pass them on to God, just in case he hasn't seen them. But you know he has, because he sees everything, right? And he is going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. This is the devil speaking, right, to me. In fact, let me tell you now, uh, you're, you're basically, you've blown it with God, so you might as well just go and sin the whole way, because it's not going to make any difference. This is what the devil says to us. And to that, Paul comes back. He says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Verse 33. Verse 34, sorry. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Paul wants to say this. He wants to say, look, no charge against you will stick. If you're a Christian, if you put your faith in Christ, no condemnation Will hold, And he gives two reasons for that. Number one, he says, it's God who justifies. It's God who justifies. You're made right with God because of what he does, not because of what you do. Okay, so when the devil tells you, ah, you messed it up because you did it, no, it doesn't work like that. It's on the basis of God's actions that we're justified. It's because Christ took your sin and mine on himself, on the cross. He suffered the full extent of God's wrath. God's punishment against it. It was spent, it was dealt with. And so actually, you know, when, when the devil accuses us like that, the point is not to come back to him and say, Well, actually, uh, you know, I see what you're saying, but it wasn't actually that bad. I'm not I'm not that bad a Christian. You can say, Yeah, sure. Yeah, it was. I I completely fouled it up. That is like worthy of condemnation, that stuff. Your charges are appropriate, except they will not stick. They have been dealt with. I have a Savior who has taken that and all the other stuff that you haven't mentioned just now. He's taken it on the cross. He's suffered in his body for it. And he has released me because the sentence is completed. It is, begins with F, finished. Thank you. Thank you for the song, it's It is finished. So that is the first reason. God is the one who justifies. Okay, the second reason why uh, there is no one who condemns. It says it's because Jesus intercedes for us. Now, we're a, a diverse bunch of people, um, and uh, you know some of us here perhaps have friends in, in very high uh, and esteemed uh, places. Some of us perhaps feel we're not particularly connected with, with the high and mighty. Here's the thing, if you're a believer, you have a friend in the highest place, right? whatever kind of name-dropping anyone wants to pull out, including the kind of monarchies of the world, you have a friend somewhere higher because you know where they're sitting? Well, let's have a look. Anyone can tell me where your your friend is sitting? Have a look at the passage. The right hand of God, exactly. It doesn't get higher than that. You have a friend at the right hand of God. There is someone who is vouching for you. And Jesus says to you, to me, John, I know him. I know him. He's with me. I can vouch for him. So, if in the heavenly courtroom, you know the the whatever the panel, the, 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 you know the jury out there, say, well, you know, what's this guy's record? Seriously, what's what's he done? The answer from Jesus, who's there, says, well, he's a sinner, and he's done a whole load of stuff wrong, but. His sin is dealt with. I looked it up, and I know it's dealt with because I, Jesus, dealt with it myself. So his record now is clear. So who will bring any charge? Who will condemn? In reality, no one. People will try. We may even be inclined to condemn ourselves. We do that sometimes, don't we? And the devil will certainly have a go at condemning us. But if you put your trust in Christ, no charge. No condemnation can stick. God has justified you. Today Jesus intercedes with you. He is speaking on your behalf in the heavenly courtroom, telling the, you know, the, the powers and authorities, the angels there, sit down, listen to this. This person, he's in. She is with me. He is with me. So I want to say this evening you're feeling that accusation. You feel that sense of condemnation tonight. Well, then there are, just, there are just two possibilities. One is that you feel it because you have yet to place your trust in Jesus. You have yet, that condemnation is going nowhere apart from heading towards you. In which case, trust him. Throw your lot in with him. But perhaps you've already done that and therefore if you're feeling it, it's, it shouldn't stick. You need to turn back at that condemnation and say, who is, he, who is the one that condemns? No one. Because I am with Jesus. All right, we're coming into land here because we, that, that gets us to the, to the final question. What can separate us from the love of God? And Paul at this stage, he's absolutely just, he's just humming along, right? He's really at his poetic best and he's really getting into the theme. And so I think we don't need to do much more than just slowly repeat what he says. What can separate us from the love of God? Here he is kind of summarizing everything he said so far. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution? Paul, remember, he's been around the Mediterranean, he's been beaten up after he preached the gospel in various different Mediterranean cities. He's been shipwrecked, he's been left to dead. He's been attacked by snakes. He knows what he means by these words. Or famine, or nakedness, or danger or sword, all things that Paul knew very well, and therefore are not exempt from Christians. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul definitely had moments in his life when he, that's what he felt like. But, but does he let them defeat him? No, verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The answer to the following question is nothing. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. 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 Now listen, I guess perhaps... Famine or persecution or sword is not immediately where we go in our own thinking. But we've all got experiences that map somewhere onto this. The present, the future, worries about our, our situation, powers, this sense of kind of being buffeted by all sorts of circumstances and challenges in, in life. There's plenty here to go on. And I, I, I want to recommend to you, take this home with you. Read, read for yourself this, these couple of verses again this evening. And be encouraged by them. Above all, just hold that word, those words, more than conquerors. More than conquerors, Paul said. Just an extraordinary thing to say. I mean, you want to go up to him, Paul. You do not look very much like a conqueror. Uh, Apparently, he was quite small, Paul, as well, and he was not very good at talking. Like he was sort of, you know, people sort of near. He's not very eloquent. Paul did not look like a conqueror. And certainly his experiences did not make him look like a conqueror. But he said, we are more than conquerors because of the love of God through him who loved us. All right, so let's get right back to the start. We started with the fear of flying. So I want to ask you, as, as, uh, as we wrap up, I want to ask you, what is your experience in the Christian life? Are you... Like, you've got on the plane, you sort of recognize that's what needs to happen. You know, flying is part of what's required. But frankly, you're, you're, you're living the fear. You're looking out the wings, they're wobbling. You know, you're clamping down on the person next to you. You're not enjoying this very much. You've chosen to follow Christ, but you're yet to experience the safety and the security of knowing that assurance. if that's you this evening, perhaps perhaps this evening, and perhaps you, you know, we flip-flop, don't we? Sometimes things are going well, sometimes our, our mind goes elsewhere. Perhaps tonight is a time to recover, not just the choice, but experience the joy and the assurance to be convinced, like Paul, that nothing, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us. We'll be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's just take a moment to, um, to consider what we've heard. Consider what the Lord's been saying to us in our hearts. I want to keep the scriptures open there for, you, for yourself. Just ask the Lord really to speak to you uh, out of what he has spoken to his people and, and give you a word for, for yourself right now. Perhaps for some of us, it's a, it's a case of uh, finding the confidence to accept God is for me. Perhaps for some of us, that still sounds scandalous uh, or doubtful. And you need to learn to say that again and to say it with confidence Perhaps for some of us, we, we we recognize that we've chosen to follow Christ, but we're not experiencing the joy and the security, the safety, and we're longing for that. We want to be convinced, and we can. Now is the time to pray to, to the Lord to convince us. So, Lord, we thank you for speaking to us from your Word this evening. It's a powerful word. <clears throat> And we know it speaks right into the heart of our lives. Our Lord, give us assurance. Give us the joy of knowing we are safe in your love. And out of that safety, out of that conviction, out of that security, Lord, enable us to serve you wholeheartedly and joyfully every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Do, don't hesitate to make the most of the prayer ministry that will be going on afterwards. If there are things you'd like to pray about, or, or do contact me. We're going to move on now to share the Lord's Supper together.
0: Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk.